I'm Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and this is the Manufacturing Report. It's really mind-boggling that we're even having this type of a conversation, the, that we're having this debate, the, the pushback, the vitriol, that's all happening from within. And I think the, the Asians and the Chinese are just looking at us and saying, oh, we're silly, we're dumb, and they're having this laugh. Today, I speak with Oxen Solar CEO Mamoun Rashid, who helms one of the few but very proud American manufacturers of solar panels. This San Jose, California-based company has unfortunately found outsized enmity as a petition the company filed with the Commerce Department has importers on high alert. Oxen alleges, with pretty good data, I might add, that solar panel manufacturers in China are now routing their products through Malaysia, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand in order to avoid U.S. duties that date back to the Obama administration. Now, with a whopping 80% of U.S. solar panel imports coming from these four Southeast Asian nations, there is a lot riding on the results of the Commerce Department's probe. On the one hand, you have a solar industry which thinks its entire business model is at risk because it is hooked on cheap imports that may well have been made by forced labor in China using dirty, coal-fired energy. On the other hand, you have an engineer and entrepreneur trying to find a foothold in the clean energy manufacturing space right here in America. My conversation with Oxen CEO Mamoun Rashid next on The Manufacturing Report. Mamoun, thank you so much for joining us on the Manufacturing Report today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Scott. So I know you're based in the South Bay and Silicon Valley. Could you tell our listeners a bit about your background and career before you helped to launch Oxen Solar about 15 years ago? I used to design computer chips and flash memory chips uh, in high tech. I've worked for companies like Intel and Sun Microsystems. So before forming Oxen Solar, my last position at Sun Microsystems was I was director of engineering of the Spark 8 processor. Um, we started Oxen Solar back in 2008. We incorporated it as a smack in the middle of the Great Recession. And we wanted to see, is it possible to do American manufacturing, commodity manufacturing in Silicon Valley itself. And that's how Oxen Solar was formed. It's a pretty great story. You know, most of our listeners probably just imagine solar to be a panel on the roof of a house, but there's obviously the industry is much more deep and broad than that. Uh, tell us about the kind of products that Oxen specializes in. Oxen Solar manufactures that end product, the solar panel. And you're right. The solar panel is something typically you see it on the rooftops, but it has a wide variety of applications. We make what we call the run-of-the-mill solar panels, the generic type that goes on someone's rooftop or it can go on a commercial rooftop or an industrial application, or it can be a utility-scale application. But the underlying technology is the same. The form factors may be slightly different between the different applications, but it's all the same. And OxySolar produces all those types of panels. In addition to those standard panels, we also make highly custom designs that are used in 
building integrated photovoltaics uh, as an example, and other types, other configurations that work in very inclement weather or in extreme conditions, non-terrestrial panels, if you will. So we do both custom designs as well as standard designs here at Oxen. Now, thank you for sharing that. I do have a question about your location decision because, you know, I think that certainly in the tech sector and unfortunately in clean energy, there's a lot of innovation and research and design. And obviously there's now a lot of demand from the commercial residential utility side for solar, but manufacturing has been kind of the big question mark. And if you listen to all the MBAs uh, at Stanford, which is close by to you, they, you know, they'll say, design it here, make it somewhere else. Why did you and your founders choose the, I think, the more surprising path and decide to make it right in Silicon Valley? Right. We really bucked the trend there, especially if you recall, in the 2000s, that's when the mass exodus of manufacturing happened to overseas. So yes, we really bucked the trend, uh, but it wasn't done in a vacuum and it wasn't done on a whim. We did our research and what we found was solar at that time was fairly high priced still, but solar was going to very quickly become a commodity and the entire supply chain would become a commodity. And the cost of making a solar panel would be dominated by the cost of the bill of materials. And a lot of automation was yet to be invented and the production processes would be more automated, making it very efficient from a human resource requirement perspective. So when part of our research, we ran across an MIT paper that predicted that this would happen with the business model for the solar panel, but it also proposed that it would make sense to have regional production of solar, Hmm. basically produce it in the regions where you need it, as opposed to having it all come from one part of the world whether that would be the United States or Asia or some other country, it made a lot of sense to us because there's cost of travel, the time to deliver a panel, and there's the cost of shipping, which at that time was fairly reasonable. And now it's really highlighted that issue. So those additional costs would more than mitigate the cost of manufacturing a commodity product right here in Silicon Valley. So that was some of the background of why we said it could be made here. The other one was We made a bet that just like we in the Western world design something and take it overseas to have it what we call contract manufactured at an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer, we said, what if there would be non-Americans or foreigners that want to have a made in America product here, but they don't want to take the risk of starting up a factory and taking on the run rate risk? Could we be a contract manufacturer for Asians? Mm. So those are the couple of the reasons why we said it made a lot of sense to make it here. And uh, we felt we could be successful. And we did a lot of that. We did do production for foreign manufacturers and foreign customers for the U.S. market. So that was some of the background. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and obviously, it kind of squares, I think, to some extent with, uh, with Germany's experience in all of this. I mean, Germany's kind of a relatively higher cost country to produce things in, but they had demand pull and a strategy to kind of do some of this locally. And so they may have read the same MIT um, material that you did as well, that there was a logic to that. Absolutely. And now fast forward 10 years, it's sort of when you're deciding to buy a home in the suburbs and 
there's only one freeway that gets you into town, you have the potential for having the the traffic log jam, all you need is one accident and that's it. The entire thing is stuck as opposed to having multiple freeways. So it's sort of that way around the world. They have this concentration of supply that's coming from one region of the world. And it's very easily, you can have this issue of supply chain disruptions, not only actual delays in deliveries, but the costs can also go up quite a bit. And that's what we're seeing right now. And we're not talking about delivering toothbrushes from, (laughs) we're talking about delivering the equipment that generates the power that we think we all, I believe everyone agrees, this is going to be the power of choice for the foreseeable future until something else gets invented. And it's energy. So to be dependent on another part of the world and not be self-sufficient seems a little bit short-sighted. Absolutely. So, Mamoun, over the years, certainly since 2008, you've obviously seen ebbs and flows in the overall economy. As you pointed out, you were kind of founded just as the Great Recession was taking hold and certainly the rise of China as a player. And, you know, the Obama administration implemented duties on certain Chinese solar products, you know, a decade ago. And so the industry's kind of lived with that for a while. I'm wondering what it's been like for your experience and how you as a domestic manufacturer have seen those changes and have been able to adapt. We have seen an uptick in business every time one of those policies are instituted, but it's been very short-lived. So we're competing against not a market-based economy, and you can never out-subsidize China. So There's been short-lived gains that we have had. People have opened their doors and talked to us about potential orders, but then it subsides. So we'll enjoy it for a little bit, then it goes away. But our experience on the terraces, they work, but they need to be monitored because China has really put into strategic importance on solar, solar manufacturing. And um, I think China, in essence, wants to dominate every industry uh, possible, but the solar in particular, they identified. It was one of their top 10 technologies that they identified quite a while ago, 10, 15 years ago. So to combat that, not only do you need the tariffs, you need the monitoring. Are the tariffs being circumvented before the tariffs are put in? Is there any stockpiling going on? So it's it's great. It's good to see that it was identified that Dumping was going on, countervailing was going on, so the tariffs were put in, but there needs to be the follow-through because of the whack-a-mole effect and the resources that are out there. You can easily pick it up and put it in another country and fire up the production. Just like as I was saying, we could have also done and made similar decisions, but we didn't because Mm -hmm. what we see as the importance of domestic manufacturing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And let's get to that issue which is technically called circumvention, because it is true. And this certainly follows a pattern with other commodities and other products where duties were applied to the Chinese products. And then suddenly, and quite without any plausible explanation, imports started to rise from other countries that were close by and didn't have well-established industries. So it sounds like this is what was happening, Mamoon, with solar, particularly with respect to 
products from Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand, and Cambodia. Is my understanding of that correct? It is. That's the data that I saw. That's when I um, contacted the legal team to have a look at this data. And it was it was a suspicion at first, and we saw the data, and it's yeah. so clear. You can see it ramped down, the exports from China in, coming into the U.S., and at the same rate, it ramps up in Southeast Asia. And uh, as you pointed out, it, it, was, it was unusual. All of a sudden, a country like Cambodia, who did not have this technology overnight, increases their capacity so quickly. And it also brings to mind this other point that people are making that we will harm the environment by waiting for America to scale up. It'll take too many years. Well, it didn't take that many years out in Southeast Asia. The scaling happened in fairly short order. It was done by people who had never produced a single solar panel before. And what I say to folks who are worried about this is this technology was invented by America. The processes were perfected in America. It's just at the time of when we should have all been scaling, the rug was pulled out from under us and it went overseas and it happened in, uh, very quickly. So it can happen here quickly as well. So I don't understand the fear of, oh, it's going to take years and years to bring the production, the supply chain, the entire supply chain production back to the U.S. Right, right. And Mahmoud, just so our, our listeners know, and to be absolutely certain about this, I'll say no one is afraid of competition. But the issue here is that it was well established that the government of China, both at the federal and the subfederal level, was heavily subsidizing solar throughout the process here. And that the circumvention, obviously, the, the subsidization is a component to that as well. And so that's just not playing by the rules. You're, they're playing by a different set of rules than you are here in the United States, but you're competing for the same customers. That's what the trade enforcement is trying to address here. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, thanks for bringing that point up, Scott. We are not at all ever advocating no competition. We have zero fear of competition. I'll compete all day long with other manufacturers. I welcome other manufacturers to come online in the US. So long as it's a level playing field, we will compete all day long. And if we lose out, that's that's on us. Uh, we can compete. That's all we're saying is it's, it's just gotta be a level playing field because you know, when if you're part of the World Trade Organization, you have to play by the rules of the World Trade Organization and uh, uh, subsidizing and whatever else goes on. It's just, it's illegal. It's, it's, it's not fair. And that's got to be addressed. And we, again, we also have a hand to play in this as Americans where we cannot place more importance on quarterly profits than, um, than looking the other way on slave labor, forced labor, or violation of U.S. trade laws. We should have zero tolerance on that. If we've got business models that are predicated on that, on those two assumptions, and as a result, projects are on hold, what I say is continue to keep those projects on hold and uh, redo your business models. We have no excuse. Yeah, that's not a sustainable business model or what most people would imagine from an industry that has kind of an image and a reputation for being on the right side of things, certainly. I'm glad you raised that up. So, Mamoon, You obviously saw a challenge here with the circumvention. You took a trade case, as is the right of any domestic producer, to the Commerce Department. There's a process that is supposed to be based on economic and legal analysis about whether these subsidies exist and also injury uh, to the domestic industry. 
to some extent. But one of the industry associations here, SEIA, is, you know, I will say, trying to circumvent the circumvention uh, investigation in a really extraordinary way. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is that this isn't the first time that this industry association has made this claim. It did this after the last administration imposed a different kind of tariff, Section 201 tariffs in 2018. You know, the sky was going to fall, but it looked like installations, solar jobs, everything kind of was growing after that in 2019 and, and beyond until we got to the pandemic. And so they're kind of saying the sky's going to fall here again. You know, you're in the industry, obviously. How do you see things? I can only speak to my experience. And my experience is uh, fairly deep in this field where I've seen the sky is falling narrative be put out there every time these tariffs are discussed. All the way back in 2010, 2012, when it started, every time this was the prediction and every time the predictions were wrong. The industry continued to grow double digits. The prices continued to come down. And what's most amazing is the predictions, the actual performance of the industry outpaced the predictions prior to the imposition of proposed tariffs. So the industry has done just fine. SEIA, again, it's very unfortunate. They're really missing a golden opportunity to be a leader here. And not only are they missing that, they're making themselves silly and irrelevant with uh, some of their statements that it's repeating the same statements that have proven to be false and continue to repeat that. And this particular time, the level of resistance to initiating and then conducting an investigation of potential violation of US trade laws it speaks volumes to me. What is really going on here that is not being spoken about? And it's very disappointing, but I say to say, you know, they're missing the boat. They could be in a leadership. I've spoken to the CEO, say, it must have been five, seven years ago. I cannot remember. And I said at that time that both the domestic manufacturing and the system integration or installation industries can coexist and mm-hmm. both must coexist. And But what's required for that to happen is for us to just sit down together and discuss various ideas. And I put forth many ideas back then, but I think the intention is just not there. All focuses on quarterly profits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's worth pointing out, and I'll make this observation, that as the Commerce Department is conducting this investigation and is asking these importers that seven out of the eight importers, in my understanding, are SEIA members. So there's obviously an interest with respect to the stake of the importers there as well. One other question about this, because according to the information I've read, Mamoon, this looks globally to be a great year for solar installation, according to the International Energy Agency. And Europe obviously is a factor here because they want to quickly de-link from Russian fossil fuels, right? And so that, I think, works against this SEIA narrative that these imported solar panels are just kind of sitting around waiting for this investigation to be, yeah. to, to be over. But again, you obviously are in this market. What are your observations at this point? So what I'm seeing is I've heard both that imports have stopped or 
the exports from foreign producers have stopped, but I'm still hearing about large projects going forward. People are still busy. So I will, I'll reserve judgment as far as what did this do to the industry until all the dust has settled. But what I see right now, other than those headlines or those large EPCs saying that they don't have product to buy, I'm still seeing movement there. But none of those guys have ever now, after I've pointed it out in other interviews, some of them are starting to make calls, but none of them had reached out to us, but already assumed that there's no product in the market. Again, what I think projects are still going on, but some of those folks that are making a lot of noise, I I again I would have to be, I would have to go and physically see are they really, are their projects really on hold or not? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just have to let the data come out and show us. Sure. So there have been a lot of really wild claims made to the extent that you guys don't really do much of anything in solar, like, are you real, to to other issues. If you ran into a skeptical member of Congress or something like that in the elevator, what's your 30-second pitch to them on why intervening in this trade case prematurely would be a big mistake to the future of clean energy manufacturing in the United States? Yeah, no, if I had my uh, few seconds in the elevator, number one, I'd say, let the Commerce Department do what it's supposed to do, what it's an expert at doing, because this is serious when you're violating U.S. trade laws or any law. It doesn't matter how large or small that company is or what you think about the company, but if somebody's pointing out to the Commerce Department a potential violation of U.S. trade law, we must allow that to continue. You know, another point, if I can make real quick, I've heard about senators, I've heard about congressmen or women, I've heard about our own governor in California has come out against this investigation. At first, it's very sad that our own congressman in this state where I create jobs has come out against this. But quickly after feeling sad, I feel very upset and angry that none of these folks government officials have ever picked up the phone and talked to us. Mm. That's quite irresponsible to do this. And it's a discredit to the offices that they occupy. I saw a comment from a senator from New Mexico, pretty disparaging comments about this whole investigation. And I find it very irresponsible because we're an American company and our representatives are supposed to represent us. And um, at least before making a judgment on the situation, get all sides of the story. And there was a judgment made and judgments being made by elected officials without seeing all sides of the story. And it's shameful. Yeah, Mamoon, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to expect, which is to let this well-established process play out and to determine if there has been circumvention and to follow the law here. Otherwise, you know, what what message does that send to domestic producers if some sort of influence game can undermine their efforts to keep and grow jobs here in the United States, particularly in a sector that is strategic and that is viewed by so many people as vital to achieving other policy goals, like uh, providing some climate solutions. Brilliant. 
It's you have put it brilliantly. That's exactly correct. It's mind-boggling. It's really mind-boggling that we're even having this type of a conversation. The that we're having this debate, the the pushback, the vitriol that's happening from within. And I think the the Asians and the Chinese are just looking at us and saying, oh, "We're silly. We're dumb." And they're having this laugh. It's unbelievable. It's such a strategically important item and important topic. We should be having. It shouldn't be the industry. If we also look at this just from a very high level, we should have a strategy, a whole of government approach strategy. What are we going to do to ensure this technology stays within the U.S.? We grow it more within the U.S. This is a technology we're going to be all dependent on, and it's in a sector that is so important. The debates should be debates of a different nature, not this, not arguing over our U.S. laws being violated. And just in case they are, can you please speed up the investigation? And not only that, can you please quickly conclude that nothing is being violated? That's crazy. That's really, really crazy. It's gone too far. And again, I'm not a traditional business person by any means. I'm an engineer. I just wanted to see what I could do, what um, not just myself, all the founders, what our little contribution could be to the U.S. economy. Remember, we were formed in the midst of the Great Recession. And um, again, it's something that we should be encouraging, not discouraging, to your point. The message that will be sent here is that we've all thrown in the towel, including our leadership, our elected leadership. Don't bother. And um, go in, and in this particular instance, let's go ahead and move from dependence on the Middle East. Let's go ahead and be dependent on our current adversary, which is China. How smart is that? Mamoon, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Scott. I really appreciate it. That will do it for the Manufacturing Report today. You can find out more about Oxen Solar at oxensolar.com. Our examination of how the solar panel trade case became a lightning rod in Washington and seized national media attention continues tomorrow. Please join me Tuesday, May 24th, as I speak with the journalist who uncovered how the Solar Energy Industries Association has misdirected media coverage of the investigation and obscured its own connections to forced labor. To make sure you catch the episode as soon as it's released, subscribe to The Manufacturing Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. In the meantime, you can join us in telling members of Congress that the Commerce Department must be allowed to continue its investigation into whether China is indeed circumventing tariffs on solar panel imports through a petition on our website at AmericanManufacturing.org. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Kat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for engaging with us and for giving us some great episode ideas. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And you can connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.